the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. I am Khalid Namar. I'm having a blast today, man. I'm glad to have you here. Dan Messinas. I locked the door so he couldn't leave, so he's hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> In a bit, we're going to have a good friend of mine and the show, uh, Jeffrey Sindelar Jr., very brilliant Cleveland attorney, constitutionalist. He's going to be talking about our vaccines constitutional, meaning our mandates to take vaccines constitutional it's going to be a bigger issue i think you want to stick around for this segment uh and find out whether or not you're comfortable with the justice department's latest opinion on the issue uh but last segment we spoke with with dan and uh larry who is with the co-chair for the uh braver angels one yeah. of the co-chairs four co-chairs two red two blue yeah great ideas and i think what needs to happen is the the college kids and high school kids who are just nuts. They are absolutely out of their minds with radicalism. That's all they know is radicalism and emotionalism. They need this more than anyone uh, because they're going to be our politicians, unfortunately, um, one day. And they're, they're just so nuts. For instance, I think in some of the Ivy League kids who aren't as bright as everybody thinks they are, some of them signed a petition, a mock petition by Ami Horowitz. you got to watch this video. Where they, they, it was a mock uh, petition to get rid of the First Amendment. And they signed, many of them signed it. And these were Yale students who were supposed to be the, you know, the best and the brightest. Uh, signing a petition to get rid of the First Amendment. Well, I mean, is civics taught anymore? <laughs> no, it's Hello. not, which is what we're trying to do. <laughs> and then you have 
these students who uh, at Harvard who uh, petitioned to get rid of a one of their professors who happened to be on the defense team of Harvey Weinstein as he as if he doesn't have a Sixth Amendment right to counsel and he's an unpopular guy. So therefore, why are you defending him? And they were against him being on Harvey Weinstein's defense team. This, now, these are law students at Harvard. They're nuts. You know what I'm saying? So these are the people who are going to be running our government. I am not impressed with these people. You know this. Uh, I'm the last person to bring up your formal education to. Speaking of Harvard Law, we have one on the phone. Harvard Law graduate, Cleveland attorney, great friend of mine, and and he's not nuts. Uh, he's brilliant, by the way. Jeffrey Sendelar Jr., how are you, sir? I'm good, Khalid. Thanks for having me on the program. And notice I gave you a shout-out for not being a, a nut from Harvard Law School. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's the highest compliment you can pay me. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for joining us joining us all the time i always have you on when i'm sitting in this chair because i love your insights so vaccines uh the justice department came out with an opinion recently that vaccine mandates are not unconstitutional is that is that a correct uh assessment uh that that is a correct assessment uh that runs very far back in our history and both the English common law history. Uh, if you want, I can I can jump into some of the historical context yes, to help orient people's thinking on that. So the traditional way you learn about the way the power is uh, distributed between the federal government and the state governments is the, the federal government has complete authority in international affairs and war, and the federal government's power is highest when it comes to a war. If, if we're at war, the government can conscript its citizens, meaning have a draft and say, you show up, put on a uniform, take this rifle, and you're going to go march into battle. Um, that is, you know, as, as statist of a power as a government can, off, can, um, can exercise over its citizens. And it's long accepted that that is something that governments can do and have done. The corollary to that for a state government is in matters of public health. So it's it's long been the case that when it comes to exercising what are known as the police powers, regulating the internal affairs of the state and the government, uh, the state governments, not the federal governments, are actually at their, their highest mark of power. And historically where that has always been has been with contagious diseases. Uh, you know, fortunately, due to modern medicine, we have not been ravaged by disease outbreaks as societies historically were. But uh, you know, typhoid, smallpox, the plague would would through cities and kill five, ten percent of the people. Uh, so earlier generations were very familiar with the dangers of infectious disease. Uh, it's only due to the uh, efficacy of vaccines that we've been fortunate enough that uh, you know this COVID nineteen pandemic has been such a shock to us uh, just because we're not used to a disease that we are all susceptible to uh, going through society the way the way we've experienced in the last eighteen months. So here's here's the the, the rub, um, and if you go back in history, the, the 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 you've just done that. But I remember reading something about, and I don't want to bring up Germany. 
but seems like most bad stuff has come out of Germany. Um, <laughs> no offense, Dan. He mocks you're, me. You're, he you're mocks half, me. You're half German, half Italian. Actually, you know, I just I always let me, let me sidebar. You're half German, half Italian, and, and I know your family's history. And you happen to be fifty percent uh, of two of the worst fascist regimes ever. How does that make you feel? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I remind me to kill you later. <laughs> just, but the guise of public health, governments can do bad things under the guise of public health. And this is where we are. Um, this happened in the past and it's happening now where certain state governments like California and in Michigan were challenged in court for some of their mandates and some of their, their dictates, if, if you will. Um, where do you think we're going with this? Because if governments in, on the state level, because the federal government hasn't been the worst defender in this pandemic. It's been the states. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Yeah, and you know the, the the federal government has a much different role in in these types of health and public safety issues. This is really where the state governments have the most power, whereas the the federal government can do things such as under the um, the, the the Defense Production Act, uh, control where resources go to help with manufacturing ventilators or N95 masks or vaccine components, but most of the the details in terms of you know, is there going to be a mask mandate? Are certain businesses able to operate in a certain way? Uh, those are things that come down to the state level government. And, you know, just, just as, uh, Nazi Germany and the, the Italian fascist regime did bad things in World War II, uh, the U.S. government used the, the draft to conscript Americans to go and fight those, those powers. Uh, you know, but when you have that kind of power, uh, it can be used for great good or great evil, and there's a you know there's a balance to what is necessary and proper in a given circumstance for a government to do when confronting a public health emergency, uh, as we are now. Uh, Jeffrey Sindelar Jr. is our guest, Cleveland attorney and constitutionalist. So let's get down to the nitty gritty, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> Joe Biden gets in front of the microphone and says, "We're going to mandate." that every American gets vaccinated. Is the Constitution on his side? There, there may be an issue with him issuing it as an executive order. There may also be an issue with whether he is the president has the authority to do that. Um, but in terms of whether a state government can do that, uh, it, it's very clear under existing constitutional law that states can do that. Uh, there's a 1905 case where Massachusetts enabled cities to determine whether to mandate smallpox vaccines. And in 1905, in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, uh, Justice John Marshall Harlan wrote for a 7-2 majority upholding a $5 fine against uh, Mr. Jacobson, who did not want to be inoculated from smallpox. But there was a long history uh, going back in this country to the Civil War, where George Washington in February of, 19, of 1777 mandated that troops be inoculated against smallpox. And you know, smallpox is a, is, is a horrible disease, much worse than COVID-19, obviously. But the vaccine technology at the time was such that you were just exposed to a weaker version of smallpox, and you'd be pretty sick for about a month at a time. But you know, General Washington, as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, determined that this was what was needed to make his troops ready for battle. And he, he, he forcefully inoculated 
the um, the American Army, and a lot of historians give that decision great credit in why the troops were fit to actually fight and win the Revolutionary War. So I understand why people have objections to mandates. We're Americans, and we don't like being told what to do. But when you're dealing with a public health emergency, uh, this is one of the times where our Constitution and our history has recognized that the ability of one person to infect another person with a disease uh, justifies having mandates in place uh, to protect the greater good and the the larger population as a whole. If I'm not mistaken, there was government mandates for, we have about three minutes left, for polio vaccines, I think. Uh, you mentioned smallpox, but I think during the, uh, I'm not sure, I think it may have been FDR, when they had the polio outbreak, am, am I correct in that, Jeff Sendelar? Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know the specific mechanics of who mandated the vaccines, but my my mother still tells me the story. She remembers when the polio vaccine came out, um, and 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 her her mother told her prior to that she she wouldn't take the kids to public pools because you'd have these outbreaks in the summer where kids would get crippled from polio. And you know, polio is an interesting disease in that a very large percentage of people who got polio had no symptoms whatsoever, but a small percentage would get very sick, and you'd have kids uh, die or or become permanently disabled. Um, you know, we've heard Mitch McConnell uh, speak about one of the reasons he's been so outspoken in favor of these vaccines uh, that were developed with help from the Trump administration is because he had polio as a child, and he remembers how afraid he was. Uh, of the disease um but yeah my, my mother remembers they had to all go to a place in their in their city they were in garfield heights and she said that a nurse handed her a, a sugar cube that she had to take and she went to walk away with it and was going to put it in her mouth as she was walking away and the nurse grabbed her arm and said no I, I need to see you take this in front of me uh because that's how concerned we were about eradicating polio in the united states jeffrey senator jr is our guest jeff can you hang on another segment with us Certainly, I can stick right. around. We're going to take some calls. Also, 888 281 and 216-901-0945 if you want to join us. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France, sitting in studio with Dan Messina. And Jeffrey Sindelar Jr. is on the line. Stick around. We'll see you on the other side. I'm Khalid Namar back on the Bob France Authority in studio with my buddy Dan Messina. We spoke earlier about Braver Angels, and we have Jeffrey Sendelar Jr. on the line, Cleveland attorney and constitutionalist. We're talking about the constitutionality of vaccine mandates. And, uh, Jeff, we're going to take a couple of calls. You cool with that? Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead. All right. Let's go to Matt in Lorraine. Matt, you're on the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, 
with the, the polio and the smallpox and, and all the other vaccines that we're required to get as children, um, those vaccines, in the truest sense of the word, prevent those diseases. And there are no lethal side effects from those inoculations. Yet with this, they call it a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. Uh, you keep hearing about all these breakthrough cases. You keep hearing about all these people that got sick or died from the vaccine that hasn't been approved by the FDA. How can you force something on somebody that, number one, is not a vaccine and prevents very little, and, and number two, has a possibility of a lethality at the other end? Okay. So, so you, uh, you're, you're raising a few points there. Uh, okay. You want me to go ahead and just respond? Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, so you raise a few points there, and I think you have your facts a little wrong on those. Um, first of all, the smallpox vaccine, even with the uh, the better iterations they have of it, still had horrible side effects, um, and that's why actually, I you know, someone like me who's under forty has not received the smallpox vaccine because once it was inoculated, it was determined that the risk of a smallpox vaccine did not exceed the risk of me getting smallpox. Uh, George W. Bush mandated that the military take the vaccine when they were concerned about biological warfare, and he actually got the vaccine himself because he said he wasn't comfortable mandating something he would not take himself. Uh, In the case of polio, you had instances where grandparents would change the diaper of a child who'd been vaccinated and contract polio themselves. Uh, So with all these vaccines, uh, there are risks. It's just that the risk from a vaccine is, you know, one ten thousandth, one hundred thousandth of getting the actual disease itself. Uh, as for the COVID-19 vaccines, they, they are vaccines. They're extremely safe, extremely effective. And you've had a very small handful of adverse events with these compared to hundreds of people daily still dying of COVID vaccine, COVID-19. I have two family members in the hospital fighting for their life right now because they refuse to get vaccinated. Um, if people telling you these vaccines are dangerous are lying to you. Uh, these vaccines save lives. They're extremely safe. Now, they've gone through an expedited process called an emergency youth auth- use authorization, which means they were still studied. There were over 30,000 people who got a vaccine or a placebo, and the results were compared. The vaccines were over 90% effective at presenting symptomatic illness and over 99% effective at preventing death. No vaccine is perfect because our immune systems are not perfect. And part of the reason you need a certain percentage of the population to get vaccinated is that if it's 95% effective for one person, that person has a high degree of protection. But if everyone has that level of protection, the disease cannot spread. Then you cannot infect people like children who cannot get a vaccine yet. Uh, and I have a couple of ants dealing with cancer, and they cannot get vaccinated now because their immune systems are impaired. Um, and as far as the full FDA approval, you know, the vaccine's been administered to half the country already. It's being monitored through the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And when there have been issues with blood clots or myocarditis, the FDA has looked into those immediately. They've added warning labels. But with every one of those adverse events, you see a 100, 500-fold increase when you actually get COVID-19 versus the vaccine. So there's no comparison in the safety of the vaccines to actually getting COVID-19. By the end of the year, the Pfizer 
and the Moderna vaccine are both expected to have the full FDA approval. Uh, and at that point in time, I think you're going to see more companies start to mandate the vaccine because I think they'll be in pretty solid ground to do so. Mm-hmm. All right. Jeffrey Sendelar is our guest. Uh, let's go to Bo in Rocky River. Bo, welcome to the Biofrance Authority. Yes. Hi. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, there's one thing that uh, we keep seeming to overlook is the therapeutics that we have available to counteract this disease that were taken off by Mr. Fauci and his friends at the FDA and the NIH. Another thing is that the only seems the only uh, case law that we can look at and overturn is Dred Scott. So when we have some kind of a Supreme Court ruling back in 1905 when the science was all there, uh, we cannot seem to go back and revisit this and see what rights the hum- each individual has in order this. Just because George Washington inoculated his troops back in 1776 doesn't mean that this is what we need to do to ourselves here today. Okay. We have therapeutics. We have been cheated out of using them okay. so by let, let, Dr. Let, Fauci let, and um, his henchmen. Let Jeff respond. Thank you, Bill. Jeff, we got about one minute. Yes, I mean, I, I, I understand there are therapeutics. I, I understand that there are there are treatments out there. Um, you know, I've, I, as I said, I, I have family members who are very uh, convinced they did not want to get vaccinated, and they're they're in the hospital fighting for their lives right now. Uh, one of them's on a ventilator. They're 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 getting those therapeutics. Um, they would have been a lot better off getting vaccinated. I know people are scared of vaccines, and you hear these stories. Um, but you know, to anyone who hears the sound of my voice right now, I'm, I'm urging you to get vaccinated. Uh, I, I got vaccinated. My kids will get vaccinated. I, I, I hate seeing people continue to die of a disease that can be prevented to an extremely high degree of efficacy with these vaccines. Now, I've, I, I, I worked in the pharmaceutical uh, defense industry. I, I know how to read these studies. Uh, these, these vaccines are, are your best shot by far. Okay. Well, thank you, Jeff Sendelar Jr., for your insights. As always, my brother, thanks. Uh, I always you know, want to have you on to weigh in on some of the great issues of the day. Uh, I'm Khalid Namar, and for Bob France, and in studio with Dan Messina, and we'll be back on the other side. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar in studio with Dan Messina. We just had a great discussion with my good friend and attorney, constitutionalist, uh, Jeffrey Sendelar Jr. And what we do on this program is we have discussions. I actually have always had people on with very important view. I have interviewed some very prominent people uh, and I say prominent, it doesn't mean I necessarily like them, but they were prominent. I've interviewed uh, a very prominent uh, white nationalist by the name of Jared Taylor. And one thing I'll give Jared Taylor credit for is he will come on and debate 
uh, don't agree with anything he stands for. But I called him up, asked him to come on the show I was on at the time, and he came on, and we, and we, had, a, we had a discussion. Um, interviewed lots of other people um, on various topics who have varying points of view, and that's great. That's what we do. We have discussions. I may not necessarily agree with everything a guest says. Um, personally, I am not vaccinated. I'm not. And at the moment, I don't have any plans to. Now, that's just my own personal view. And, and that's okay. Um, but what I try to do on any program is I have people on who bring information who have the, who have their, uh, who have a background in, in a particular topic and who bring information to the table and some experience at the table. And, um, one of my favorite guests and, and not just because he's a close friend is Jefferson Alar Jr. Cause he always brings a great perspective to whatever topic we're discussing. And he happens to be, uh, always well prepared on a particular topic. So he's my Peter Kersenow. Bob France has Peter Kersenow. I have Jeffrey Sindelar Jr. So <laughs> so thanks, Jeff, for coming on. I mean, you know, and, and again, uh, the history. And, and again, this was a constitutional discussion to, 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 to find out whether or not the government actually has the authority to do it. And, and the history is there because this country has been through quite a few plagues, and things so we we're going to see this in court and it's good to talk about this kind of stuff what say you dan um yeah absolutely um let's see how this well how will the states handle this how will the how will the federal government handle it i'm not sure you know it's it's um i mean that's a good question can you have a mandate from from a president i don't think you can i think it's 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 fundamentally unconstitutional and there should be a right to, to refuse any sort of medical treatment. Um, and I think the people had responded. But I, so I am not vaccinated, but I did get go COVID last year in August. And um, I, as soon as I got symptoms, I self-quarantined and I stayed in and I, you know, I just, I just waited it out. I got flu symptoms. It was a, just like the flu. Uh, with a few other weird symptoms, and came out okay. And uh, now they're ta- now they're trying to look into uh, whether or not um, the, having the COVID, you know, because you build antibodies, whether that might be uh, even better than the vaccine. So there's some some studies to maybe uh, suggest that. Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure: in the next several years, we are going to um, learn more about this. You know, we're going to learn whether or not this vaccine has any long-term effects or not. We're going to learn whether or not we're still even talking about this five years from now. Um, We're going to we're going to learn a lot. So let's just wait and see. But the constitutional issues are important because people need to see what's possibly on the horizon. And speaking of the Constitution, uh, Canada, Canada just passed uh, not our Constitution, but Canada just passed a hate speech law, which I'm always cracking up when I hear that term because there was a, a young woman at Cleveland State who had this sign, one of the dumbest signs I've ever seen. Um, I have it on my phone. And the sign said, uh, free speech, hate speech is not free speech. And the, the young lady n- needs to be uh, handcuffed to a chair and <laughs> given a hardcore civics lesson. Because first of all, there is no legal definition of hate speech in this country. There isn't. You, it's not legally defined. 
Number two, that is precisely what is protected, meaning there, is, there, there are hateful words, but there's no definition of hate speech. So you can't uh, be protected from words that offend you or that may hurt your feelings. This is the silliness of what you learn in college. Um, words are can be mean-spirited, but that's exactly what is protected, words that aren't necessarily flowery and wonderful. You don't need uh, free speech laws and protections to go around telling people have a wonderful day. You need protections for people who may say things that offend you. And guess what? When we do our talks, and you know this because we've done many talks on the Constitution to young people, we talked about the First Amendment and how important it is when you're talking about a topic that someone doesn't want you to talk about. Slavery, again, you couldn't talk about abolishing slavery if you didn't have free speech. You couldn't write about it if you didn't have First Amendment protections. People who didn't want to abolish slavery wanted to take your pamphlets and throw them in the river. And there was a case where this happened in Washington City where there was this uh, pamphlet called a liberator where someone grabbed a bunch of these pamphlets and threw them in the river because they didn't want people to read about abolition. That's what you need free speech laws to protect against. Unpopular speech, unpopular ideas that people don't want you to hear. So you can't begin to abolish any bad idea unless you can talk about it. So that's what people need to understand. And there's no, again, no legal definition of hate speech. Uh, so, Well, you know, um, to speak is to think. And in order to to work out some of these ideas, you have to talk about things that are upsetting, that are maybe maybe they're truly bad ideas, maybe they're even truly hateful ideas. But it it does a couple things. One, it allows for the speech to happen to at least ferret out what's good and what's bad. So you make discernments there, and but but you have to sort of put it out there. And the other thing that free speech does is that it 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 allows you to know who's who and who stands where. If you start having speech codes, I mean, how do you determine what's what's a good speech code and what's a bad speech code? What is allowable? What is uh, uh, what is offensive and what's not offensive? Well, well, well Canada's law specifically addresses uh, things that are determined to be offensive. Are you kidding me? Um, anything could be offensive. I, when I hear the words Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm offended. <laughs> 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 I don't, I'm offended when I hear that, but but seriously, offensive offensive is in the in the in the mind of 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 the beholder, shall I say? Offensive is subjective, and you're running into all sorts of problems when you determine uh, something to be offensive, and 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 that which is determined to be offensive should not be heard. Uh, Canada has uh, gag rules against the press in high-profile trials. So they don't have uh, the, the press frenzy that we have when they're covering high-profile trials. They just, just have gag orders. You can't do it. So they, they, this is just another uh, component of their um, lack of free speech in Canada. They, they did have in Canada. They did try back in, I think it was 2016, they tried to pass um, uh, compelled speech codes for transgender yes that you had to uh, address somebody by their preferred pronouns correct 
Um, and but that I think went to defeat, and that's actually what propelled uh, Jordan Peterson to stardom because he had a, he had a, opposed it because he saw that this was the first time that Canada had was trying to legislate uh, speech, compelled speech. That's the great Jordan Peterson, we saw him uh, here in Cleveland a couple years ago, sold out the place. Wow, we'll be back with more on the other side. I am Khalid Namar in studio with Dan Messina. Stick around, we'll be back.